Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for hearing our prayer. It wasn't even two weeks ago, Lord, that we prayed for these pastors, these Sudanese pastors, and here we are. They are released. We give you thanks. And we are reminded, God, that, um, that you do hear our prayers, that you do um, pay attention, Lord, when your church rises up and sounds the alarm, when the watchmen on the wall announce what is happening. Lord, good things can happen. People can turn around. Decisions can be made that are in keeping with you and not in opposition to you. So Lord, help us to always be a people that rises up, lifts up prayers in your name. And may your spirit continue to go out, not only from this place, but around the world to do your work. Lord, we recognize that as we open your word now, we're doing your work. This is your word. We want to let it speak. We don't want to bring agendas to it. We don't want to bring man's opinion to it or man's tradition. We want to let your word speak plainly, freely, in a way that your spirit could penetrate and change hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. You can also follow along on the, uh, the outline that's going to be provided to you. Um, you know, I was thinking uh, today of um, the title of this message, by the way, Give Me Your Heart. Give Me Your Heart from Matthew 15, 8 and 9. We'll read that text in just a moment. But I was thinking about uh, a wedding ceremony, right? The culmination of a wedding ceremony is the kiss, is it not? It's certainly not uh, the, the decorations, which are nice. It's certainly not, you know, all the people that attend a wedding, which is nice. It's certainly not the, the minister who stands before them and, and pronounces them man and wife. That, that's nice. But at the end of the day, everyone comes to a wedding to watch one thing, and that is that kiss. The kiss. Something happens with when those two lips touch and everyone in the audience is just immediately, they, 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 they recognize that something beautiful, something new, something special has now just happened. But of course, of course, inasmuch as the kiss of two lips, inasmuch as that is a beautiful and, and precious moment in a, in a wedding ceremony, it is not the lips of the two people that cause that marriage to be a beautiful thing. The lips, in fact, what they're doing as they come together in a kiss, the lips are witnessing. The lips are testifying to the fact that this man and this woman have come together and have given their heart to one another forever. When we see the lips touch, we recognize that something has happened in the human heart of each of these people and they are going to be devoting themselves forever to one another in God's sight. The lips evidence what is happening in the heart. This message entitled Give Me Your Heart in Matthew 15, we're going to see Jesus talking about lips and talking about heart. And he's going to be saying the exact same thing. What you do with your lips, what you do with your mouth, is really just evidence 
of what is happening in your heart. Take a look at Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. These people, Jesus says, draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You know, as a person who, um, very much a part of my job uh, is speaking, right? Preaching, teaching. As a person who speaks and teaches for a living, for a job, uh, this is a kind of verse that can often really haunt me, actually. It haunts me quite a bit. Because I recognize that I'm constantly using my mouth, I'm constantly using my lips, And Jesus is here suggesting that there is at least a certain subset in the Gospels, the Pharisees and scribes, but that there's a subset of people in the culture that that, that speak, they use their mouth, they use their lips, they start talking, but it's meaningless. It's utter meaningless. I come across a verse like this and I think to myself, are are my words empty, hollow? Are my words meaningless? Do I draw near to the Lord with my mouth, honor him with my lips, but have a heart that's far from him? We use our lips, our mouth, to honor Jesus all the time, actually. It's interesting that he says that these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. Jesus is recognizing that what's coming out of their mouth is, by all account, good, right? He says, they come near to me with their lips. Their words sound really good. Their lips, their, their mouth, it, it's honoring what they say. I think of, of all of us in this room, right? We've been using our lips, our mouths this morning. We've been singing. These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Were your words, were your lips, was your mouth as you sung today, uh, honoring the Lord with, with what was coming out, but inside nothing was happening. We, we use our lips and our mouth in teaching. We use our lips and our mouth out in, in the courtyard after church, interacting with one another and, and, and salutations and greetings and, and interacting with friends and acquaintances. We use our lips and our mouth through, through email, through texting one another, through social media. There's a lot of different ways, there are a lot of different mediums in which we speak, in which we use our mouth, in which we express ourselves. And as we do, we often, we can, we're, we're really good at it actually, we often project, wow, she's, she's really honorable. Wow, he's, he's a real godly guy. Did you hear what he said? Oh, she... She's so kind. I mean, she, she must be a real strong Christian. You see, we've learned the lingo. We've learned how things are supposed to sound to others in church. Christianese, they call it. One, one scholar puts it, what gets said in church is an exercise in social conformity. We talk a good talk. Our expression of Christianity, it looks clean and neat and well-kept. But the things that are coming out of our mouths, at their core, I wonder, are they just hollow words that stem from an empty heart? Am I the kind of person 
that Jesus is speaking of? Is he talking about me? Do I appear to draw near to him and honor him with my lips while my heart is far from him? Is Jesus speaking of me? If he is, you're not alone. That's the, that's the, the silver lining. You're not alone. In fact, there were a great many stories and a great many times in Scripture where it is said that the people's lips sounded so honorable, but their hearts and minds were far from the Lord. Take a look at First uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah at the top, 310. Judah, that is the southern kingdom of Israel, has not turned to me, God said, with her whole heart, but she's turned to me in pretense. She's a pretender. She's a fake. She looks like she's turning to me, but she's not. Jeremiah 12, 2, you, Lord, are near in their mouth, but you are far from their mind. Jeremiah's indictment of the southern kingdom of Israel is scathing. He's saying these people sound really good. They say all the right words. They have all the right greetings and salutations. They know exactly what to say. But their hearts, their minds, not at all on the Lord. And in our main text today, Matthew 15, 8 and 9, Jesus' words are directed to a highly respected group of religious men, the scribes and Pharisees, men who everyone assumed had the most intimate, the most heartfelt relationship with God. But Jesus says to them, he says, these people, these scribes, these Pharisees, those of you who think they have this intimate, heartfelt relationship with me, well, guess what? They draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. Yes, they do. But their heart is far from me. In vain, they worship me. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You see, earlier in Matthew 15, the scribes and the Pharisees They had been complaining about how Jesus' disciples were not precisely following accepted cultural views on hand washing and eating. They melded together, they they joined together the traditions and doctrines of men with the scriptures. And so their traditions and doctrines of men said that you had to do a certain kind of wash before you could take the bread. And they would take these commandments, they would take these traditions, and they would bring them over and they would meld them together with scripture and, and really call it scripture. They assumed that their own tradition was scripture. They didn't see a difference between the two. And might I add, this is a tremendous, this is a tremendous temptation for believers today as well. No, we don't have uh, traditions about hand washing. (laughs) But this, what was happening 2,000 years ago with the scribes and Pharisees, the blending together of man's ideas and traditions with the scriptures, that concept is happening today as well. It's a temptation of Christians today. I think this, this can be especially true when it comes to things like politics. David Kinnaman, in his book, Unchristian, details the first word, the first word that comes to mind when non-Christians hear the term evangelical. So think about this. You're, think, assume a non-Christian person and someone walks up to them on the street and says, tell me the first word that comes to mind when you hear the term evangelical. 
What do you think that non-Christian person says? What do you think they say? Social conservative. That's the first thing they think of. Oh, you're a, you're a social conservative political activist, aren't you? Yes, because the gospel of evangelicals today, the message that the world hears us proclaiming more than anything else is that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in traditional marriage and is pro-life and is pro-gun should not perish but have everlasting low-regulation pro-business capitalism. Right? Is that what you want to be known for as you walk out and tell people I'm an evangelical Christian? Because that's what they think. That's what they think. And you know why they think that? Because you and I are guilty of melding the principles of social conservative political philosophy with the scriptures. I'm not suggesting that social conservative political philosophy is completely opposed to the scriptures. In fact, I think, I think some elements of it can be drawn from scripture. But we are not to elevate social conservative political ideology to the point where it becomes part and parcel of scripture. Amen? Scripture should inform our political views. But when I tell someone I'm a Christian, when I tell someone I'm an evangelical Christian, God forbid, the first thing they think of is my politics. That's not what I want to be known for. The first thing that these scribes and Pharisees were known for was blending the traditions of men, the ideology of men, with the scriptures. And Jesus called them out on it. When Jesus looked at the scribes and Pharisees, he saw a group of people whose gospel was filled with man-made tradition. When the world looks at you and I, they see a group of people whose gospel is defined, oftentimes by social conservative politics. And we wonder why the American church is so feckless and weak. We talk a good talk. By appearances, we honor him with our lips. But are our hearts far from him? number of commentators on uh, Matthew 15. I, wanted, I just wanted to pick one, a, a philosopher as a matter of fact, not even a theologian, but Dallas Willard, one of the most uh, respected. He died a year ago. He's in, he's in glory. One of the most respected Christian philosophers of all time. He said this about Matthew 15, our main text today. He said, your tongue follows correctness. Your heart follows truth. As spokespersons for Christ, we are going for the heart we are going for the heart of all these people. Dallas is on the right. John Ortberg's on the left. A, a wonderful uh, uh, Presbyterian pastor in Menlo Park, California. And they, they were having a conversation about this, this text in Matthew 15. And I want to elaborate just a little bit more, just, just to give a little bit more context to what he meant by those first two lines. So show it again now. Your tongue follows, and I, I, I put in the addition there, social correctness, while your heart follows what you think is the truth. 
I want you to meditate on that for just a moment. Your tongue follows social correctness. Your heart follows what you think is the truth. Your tongue follows social correctness. That is to say, at church, we aim to say the right things, right? Speak the right language that will be socially acceptable in this sanctuary or out with other like-minded evangelicals. It's an exercise in social conformity. A nice-timed amen or a salutation that ends with, I'll be praying for you. All these are things that make us look good and accepted in this environment. Your tongue, your lips, follow, pursue, strive toward social correctness. But God has not called you and me to become conformed to the social group that meets at Coast Bible Church. God has not called us out to become perfectly agreeable with social conservative evangelical Christianese language. He is after so much more. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than that. The kingdom of God is not a social club. Its essence is not purely political. Jesus said in Luke 17, 21, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. It's in your heart. The kingdom of God is about human hearts having intimate fellowship with the Son and being beautifully transformed by the Spirit into the image of God. I'll say that again. The kingdom of God is about human hearts having intimate fellowship with the Son and being beautifully transformed by the Spirit into the image of God. God is after our hearts. Your tongue, your tongue follows social correctness. Your heart follows truth, what you know to be the truth, what you believe to be the truth. God is after our heart. If he gets our heart, our tongue will follow. We will speak and act in ways that transcend the selfish desire for social acceptance. But if we refuse to give God our heart, We will continually regress and become more and more of a shell of a person, talking a good talk, but empty inside, and in danger of treading down very, very perilous waters. These are some of the waters that we can find ourselves in when our heart begins to direct our tongue, our words, and our actions. Take a look at another portion of Matthew 18. Matthew 15, 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth, they come from the heart. And they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a man. Does God have your heart? That is the only question that matters. And that is the only question that you can answer. Only you can answer it. I can't answer it. Your spouse can't answer it. 
Your best friend can't answer it. Does God have your heart? All of you talk a good talk. (laughs) I talk a good talk. I know where to place my amens. I know when to bring out the I'll be praying for you line. I've got it down. But the tongue follows social correctness. We just, we just kind of, if all we are is a tongue, we just, whatever is acceptable, whatever can conform, whatever can bring us into acceptance with this group, it's only when we start in here that something really starts to change. Does God have your heart? I cannot answer that for you. I'm not asking about your tongue. I'm asking about your heart. Willard says your heart follows what you think is the truth. Your heart follows truth. What Willard means by that is that your heart will follow, it will pursue, it will chase after the things that you tell yourself is true and good. Let me say that again. What Willard means by that, the the words, your heart follows what you think is the truth, is that your heart will follow, it will pursue, it will chase after the things that you tell yourself are true and good. Those Christians who drink alcohol to excess, they have convinced themselves that having a buzz on the weekend is good and true. Those Christians that deceive and cut corners in their workplace. They've convinced themselves that improving their bottom line at all costs is good and worthwhile and true. Those Christians with relentless appetites for pornography or sexual promiscuity, they've convinced themselves in their heart, in their mind, that their own pleasure is the highest good, the highest truth. Those Christians that rip into and tear down others with gossip and slander, they've convinced themselves in their minds, in their hearts, that they're, do- that they're doing something good and beneficial when they publicly broadcast the flaws of others. Your heart will follow what is truth, what you think is true. Like a beeline. What you've convinced yourself in your mind and in your heart is true, you will follow. Your life will follow. Your tongue will follow. Your actions will follow. You can cover it for a while, um, but it'll get found out. Your heart will follow truth. That is why That is why the scriptures and the church is so important. That is why preaching is so important. Because what we are doing when we gather is to reset our mind and our heart on what is really good and really true. This group, this gathering, it's not a social club. We have fun together. We have fun together. We're a family. We always talk of ourselves as a family. We do fun and entertaining and even sometimes recreational things together. But this is not 
a social club. This is not about making sure our tongues are all conforming to one another. It's not about uncritical groupthink where we're all going in the same direction. But I will warn you, Christians, that there are many who spend their entire life reading the word and coming to church and not recognizing that what they're doing is something so much more than just speaking the right words in the social conforming group. They don't get it. But this is something that's so much more than that. The people of Ezekiel's day did not get it. Take a look at Ezekiel 33. By the way, this is one of my most favorite chapters of the Bible. If you've never read Ezekiel 33, do yourself a favor. Go home and read it today. Ezekiel 33. As for you, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, the children of your people are talking about you, Ezekiel, the prophet, you, you preacher, you. They're talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. They speak to one another. Everyone says to his brother, Oh, please come and hear Ezekiel. Please come, hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you, Ezekiel, as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. Continue. Next slide. For with their mouth, they show much love to you, Ezekiel, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. God forbid that I do what I do merely for your admiration. God forbid that we all just suppose the words that we sing And the message that we preach is merely a lovely song with pleasant voices and well-played instruments. The assembly of God's people is not that. The church is a humble gathering. It is a regular gathering. It is to be an attentive gathering to daily give our hearts to God. To daily and regularly and constantly reset our minds and our hearts on what is true. Because you will be lied to all the time about what is true. You will follow a great many things in your life. Supposing that it's good and true. Supposing that it's beneficial, that it's profitable. It won't be. This word, coming to a place like this and others like it, this is where you get reset. This is where you are reminded that as spokespersons for Christ, Willard says, we are going for the heart. We are going for the heart of all these people. Proverbs, I close with chapter 23, by the truth. Don't sell it. By wisdom and instruction and understanding. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we confess that uh, we can really trivialize this time when we gather on Sunday. 
when we gather midweek. We can really trivialize this time, Lord. We can pretend really well on these days. We can put forth a very good front. A lot of pretense. God, we don't want to do that anymore. We don't want to just conform for social acceptance. We want our words and our actions and our lives to derive from a heart that is stayed on you. We want to buy the truth and never sell it. Help us, God. Help us to regularly be in your word, not for just doctrinal knowledge, but for the transformation of our heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.